Hey, thanks for joining us today at Divine Church. We're one church with two locations reaching around the world with the help of our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ, and you can partner with us by sharing this video or clicking the give link below. But for now, prepare your heart for some incredible worship and inspiring message. darkness I was rejected and cut off from oh, I couldn't see his love for me they 
said he's not who we see. Don't get your hopes up for giving. The lies fell away when I saw his face. My heart burst tonight. I saw delight in his eyes when he looked at me.
Well, how are you, church? Good. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you this morning as we jump back into our message series for week two of our series called For You This Christmas. And what we've been discovering together in this series is that God really does have something special for you this Christmas. But the way that we have to receive it is by approaching Jesus the same way that the wise men approached Jesus nearly 2,000 years ago. And what we learned last week is that the wise men came to Jesus not to get something from him, but to give something to him. And what they came to give him was their worship. <clears throat> and, and what we're going to see this morning is that one of the ways they worshiped was by giving him gifts. Now, I'm going to be totally honest with you this morning and let you know that I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to like gifts until I had kids, right? Like up until that point in my life, like gift giving was very much on the periphery. It was on the back burner. I wasn't worried about it because I was more concerned with what gifts I was going to be getting. And then when I had kids, I realized, man, there is something really, really fun about giving gifts. In fact, I'm now in the position where I know, I know that giving gifts is way more fun than getting gifts. But what's not more fun is assembling gifts. Can I get an amen? Like assembling gifts is not fun at all. I learned this the hard way. When my son Joshua was two years old, like we got him one of those kitchens that they can play in, you know, your kids can play in. And our thought was it'd be really cute. Like, like we'll put the kitchen right next to our kitchen so like mom and dad can be in there cooking and then he can be in his kitchen cooking. It's going to be awesome. And it looked awesome from the outside of the box. And then after we put him to bed on, on Christmas Eve night, we thought, you know what would be really cool is if we went ahead and assembled the kitchen so that when he came out on Christmas morning, like that bad boy would be ready. Like it would be like ready for him to play with. And so we put him to bed at 8, 8, at 8 p.m. And then we went to bed at 2 a.m. <clears throat> and the last thought that went through my mind that night before I fell asleep was, that better have been worth it. <laughs> and so the next morning we got up and he came running out of his room, out into the living room, and he saw the kitchen and he was ecstatic. I mean, he was fired up. I mean, he played with that thing for at least 30 or 40 seconds before, <laughs> before he saw the box and climbed into the box. It was worth it for that 30 or 40 seconds though, okay? And, and I think a lot of parents understand this, that there is just something like special about seeing that look on your kids' faces. But some parents have actually gone the other way on this, where instead of trying to get their kids the best gifts they possibly can, they get their kids the worst gifts that they can come up with. And, and then here's the best part. They film it so that the rest of us can enjoy their kids' agony at opening a really terrible present. So I want you to check out this video of, of some kids' reactions to really bad gifts.
that poor kid, right? I mean, that's, that's tragic. But if any of y'all ever decide that you want to do that to your kids, please film it so that I can enjoy it, okay? Yeah, I mean, that would be really good for me. Now, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take a look at the gifts that Jesus received from the wise men. And here's, here's just a little nugget for you. It's way better than the gifts that those poor kids received. And so if you brought your Bibles or have a Bible app, you're invited to open with me to Matthew chapter 2. Again, that's Matthew chapter 2. And as you're getting there, I want to kind of give you the backstory of what we're about to read. So there was a young girl named Mary. She was a young Jewish girl, and she actually has just had a baby, and she named the child Jesus. And this child was born in the little town of Bethlehem, the city of David, and thankfully her her fiancé Joseph was able to be there with her for the delivery, but he almost wasn't. You see, Mary had become pregnant before she and Joseph had actually consummated their marriage. Joseph had pretty much made up his mind that he was going to essentially leave Mary. He was going to go his way and she was going to go her way. And then something strange happened. Just before Joseph was about to talk to Mary, an angel showed up to Joseph in a dream. And this must have been a pretty persuasive angel because he convinces Joseph that Mary has not been unfaithful. In fact, the child growing in her womb was from the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph trusts that what this angel has told him is true. He sticks with Mary and is able to be there for the delivery of his son, Jesus, the Savior of the world. What what an incredible moment for him. And and that is exactly where our story picks up today. So we're going to pick up reading with Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, I think we read this story and we go, oh, that's a nice story. The wise men showed up, right? But I think we miss the magnitude of what these wise men have done in order to get to Jesus, right? Like most scholars believe that these wise men came from Persia, which would put them traveling or beginning their journey from modern day Iran. And so they would have traveled about 900 miles. And just for perspective, if any of y'all got a wild hair and decided that after service today, you really wanted to go check out the Rockettes and Radio City Music Hall in, in downtown New York City, like if you wanted to do that, it would, it would, it would take you about 800 miles to get there, Right? 800 miles or so, and they had to travel 900 miles. But they wouldn't have had the advantage of cars like we have. They would have been traveling on the backside of an animal, right? They were either riding on a mule or or perhaps worse, a camel. Could you imagine being stuck between the two humps of a camel for 900 miles? Like that's that's a bad ride, okay, right? Like that doesn't sound fun to me at all. But when they arrive in Jerusalem, they go to the person who they assume would know the most about this newborn king, King Herod. And they go to the king and they basically say, hey, where is this newborn baby king? We have come to worship him, right? And you would think that Herod would know everything about this and be excited about the newborn king, but he's not at all. Let's see what Herod says in verse three. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So Herod is not excited, not exuberant, not overjoyed to hear that the Savior of the world has come. He's certainly not excited to hear that the Savior of the world has come in a region where he is the ruler, where he is the ultimate authority. And so Herod does what a lot of 
you know, selfish, insecure people do. People do. He lies. He lies to the wise. And let's pick up reading and see what happens next in verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I love that expression. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And we'll come back to that in just a second. But I want to make sure you don't miss what happens here. So Herod hears about this newborn king and summons the wise men to him and says, hey, hey guys, here's what I want you to do. I want you guys to go on ahead and find this king. And when you find him, I want you to send me word so that I can join you there to worship him too. I want to come worship this newborn king just like you. And these wise men don't know King Herod's heart. They don't know that his intention is not to go and worship the king, but to eliminate the king. And so they go on with their journey. They make the the short journey. It's about six miles or so from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And they go and they find the place where Jesus is. And verse 10 tells us how they felt about it. It says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now, that's a verse like straight out of the Department of Redundancy Department, right? Like, yes, you rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So yes, you were joyful in your rejoicing. We, we, we got it, right? But it kind of makes sense when you think about it. Like, it's as if the author is grasping at straws to try to figure out how to, like, how to articulate the depth of joy that they feel. Because think about what these men have just done. They've just traveled 900 miles on the backside of an animal trying to get to the Savior that they have longed for their entire lives. And now they've found him. He's right there. And their only response is what? To rejoice exceedingly with great joy. If you look at the Greek, it says that they rejoiced with a great, big, huge, all-encompassing joy. And that, that's awesome. Like, I, I love that. Especially in our climate today, where it feels like Christians don't have a problem with, like, over-rejoicing. We have a problem with under-rejoicing. Like, we're not overjoyed anymore we're underjoyed a whole lot and and that really bums me out for christians right because like if you're a christian what that means is that you have trusted in jesus as the forgiver of your sins so all of your sins are forgiven past present and future and and you've trusted jesus as the leader of your life which means that you recognize that the holy spirit same spirit that was in jesus lives in you that means that god's on your side now and always And yet, many Christians go around, they're just living their life, looking like they're about to yell, get off my lawn! What's the deal? Like, like I have a lot of Sundays where I'm up here, like, preaching about the good news of Jesus, and some of y'all look like I just said that your puppy ran away. Like, like this is good news that you are hearing. And some of y'all are like, yeah, I, I, I know it's good news. Tell your face! Let your face know that you know that it's good news because it is really good news. And, and I, think, I, think it, I think if we were to really grasp how good news this is, that it would change the way people look at Christians. Could, could you imagine if we left this building today to go out into this community and be the church in the community 
and all of us showed the joy that we feel. Like we showed the joy that we experienced. Like we were overjoyed in everything that we do leading up to Christmas. I'm convinced it would make a difference. Like I think you can make an impact on those around you just by showing the joy that you feel this time of year. It makes more of a difference than you know. All right? And so what I want you to hear is that these wise men, they didn't show up going, oh man, we made it. I'm glad, glad that's over. No, like they're like, yes, like we've done it. We're here. And this is what happens next. Let's pick up reading with verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Man, I love this. So they finally see Jesus, right? They go in the house where the child is, and what do they do when they see Jesus? It says they fall on their face. Like they get face down before the newborn king, and they worship him. And you get the sense that once they've like had a moment of worship and adoration and just articulating from the very depths of their soul how, how grateful they are for who Jesus is and what he has come to do, that they then reach back into their treasures, and they pull out gifts to give to him. They pull out gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. But, but I want you to hear this. They don't give him these gifts because they're obligated. They give him gifts because they're overjoyed. And that makes a big difference. Some of y'all, you've been invited to the office party where you got to bring a gift. And you're obligated. So you're bringing a sweater or a tie or a gift card again right? Like, because you're obligated to bring something. That's not what's happening here. They're not under obligation. They're overjoyed to give what they have. And some of y'all, like, you need to have that spirit this time of year to recognize that what you got is a good thing. You have the opportunity to take the joy inside of you and give it in a tangible way to somebody else. My my five-year-old daughter, Abby Grace, she gets this because she loves giving gifts. It doesn't matter if it's a gift that, like, that she has spent months plotting and planning and saving up her money for, or if it's a gift she just made on her craft table. She loves giving gifts. And like as soon as she has that thing wrapped up, she wants you to open it. Like she does not want it sitting in the paper long at all. Like once it's wrapped, you need to have it. You need to open it because she's more excited for you to have it than she is for you to like just sit and wait for it. Like she wants to make sure that you get this thing that she is excited for you to have. And, And Poor sweet Abby Grace, she comes by this honestly. See, I I have this grandmother who's the same way, like same way. Like for my whole life, I've always been able to count on the week following Thanksgiving receiving a package in the mail. And within that package was going to be a gift from my grandmother. Like, and on the outside of the packaging would be written, open today. Because she wanted to make sure that that gift did not sit around. And as a kid, I thought this was amazing, right? Like we looked forward to Thanksgiving because we're like, oh, grandma's gift's almost here, right? Like, like we knew it was coming and that was amazing. It was awesome. Like loved it. As a teenager, I sort of used it as an opportunity to mess with her. And so what I would do is I would take her present when it came in the mail and I would stick it at the very back of the tree and I wouldn't open it until Christmas night just to watch my grandmother like swarm in her seat, like wanting desperately for that thing that she had bought to be open. I'm not proud of it, okay? Don't look at me that way. Some of y'all are like, you're a jerk. I know, okay? This was like 
pre-Jesus. This is, you know, this is PJ, man. Pre-Jesus, don't be judging me. Okay, I'm just saying, okay? So listen, listen. These gifts, these gifts are a great big deal. And they gave them from a posture of being overjoyed. And the significance of these gifts cannot be overstated. Like not only are they valuable, but they, they actually tell the story of who Jesus really is. And so here's what I want to do. I want to talk you through the gifts that have been given here and why they matter. So the first gift that's given is what? Gold, right? And what this gold symbolizes is the fact that Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Like that's who Jesus is, right? He's the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Now, in case you were curious, this, this doesn't just tell the story of who he is. This is actually a very, very helpful gift. If you're looking for something to get your pastor for Christmas, gold is always a good way to go. No, I'm just kidding. But here's why, this, here's why this is a big deal for Jesus. Those wise men, they actually were informed that they should not go back to King Herod. There was something going on there. So they actually returned home a different way. Well, King Herod was none too pleased that he had been duped by the wise men who did not return after worshiping Jesus and giving him these gifts. And in order to eliminate the threat to his kingdom, to his domain, to his power, what King Herod issues is an a decree, an edict, basically that all two-year-old boys would be killed. Well, hearing word of this and being warned to flee, Jesus with his parents, Mary and Joseph, leave and they go to Egypt, which was not, which was not a cheap place to live, especially if you're showing up as an immigrant, as somebody who, who has everything they own strapped to their back, to the back of the animal that they rode in on. And they get there, and they're able to exist there. Why? Because these wise men had traveled 900 miles to give him gold. It was a very significant gift. Now, the second gift is equally significant. That is the gift of frankincense, right? And those of you who are doTERRA people are like, woo, I know about, the, I know about that. You're like rubbing it on right now and just trying to make sure that you're covered for Christmas. All right, I, I hear you on that. Frankincense was used in a lot of different contexts, even before doTERRA, okay? It was used in the temple of the Old Testament. It was used as a way of offering incenses to God. It created a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And so the reason that this gift is significant is it symbolizes that Jesus was not only the king of kings, he was also the high priest. And in the Old Testament, the high priest's job was pretty simple. They were to connect the hearts of the people to the hearts of God, and they stood in between. So they stood in between where God's people were and where God was, and they had to connect them. And so what we know is that Jesus has come to connect all the world to the heart of our heavenly Father as our eternal high priest. And the high priest had to, had to do this process again and again and again of making, making the sins of the people be you know, redeemed. Well, Jesus actually does that once and for all time. He was the ultimate high priest who paid the price of our sins on the cross. That's who he was. And these wise men knew that from the time that they saw that star in the sky. Which brings us to our third gift, and that is the gift of myrrh. And that's probably the most interesting of the three gifts to me, because myrrh was kind of like an, an ointment or a balm. It was basically what you would put on a body to prepare it for burial. And so why would you give that to a child? It was because they knew that he was the Savior, that he had actually come into this world destined to die for all the world and all the sins of all the world. So these gifts tell us that Jesus is the king of kings, he's the high priest, and that he is the savior of the world. 
Now, that's a pretty staggering thing when you think about it. But some of you might be going, why would these wise men come and give such good gifts? Like, like, A, how do they know? B, like, why would they do that? I think these wise men had a sense of just how significant this child was. And before they even knew him, they loved him. And what we all know to be true is that love gives. Love gives. I I love giving gifts to my wife and to my kids because I love them. It's an extension or an expression of my love for them. But I I had a buddy growing up, and when when we were in high school and college, um, what he would do around the holidays is he would use that as an opportunity to go ahead and break up with the girl that he happened to be dating at the time. You know why? Because he didn't love her, so he didn't want to get a gift for her, right? Now, some of you are like, wow, that guy was kind of a jerk. Here's the best part. After Christmas, he would get back together with that girl without having had to get her a gift, right? Yeah, I hung out with great people pre-Jesus, okay? Pre-Jesus. Okay, now, now here, here's what's interesting. is That guy has now gotten married, and every year, you know what he does? He buys awesome gifts, awesome gifts for his wife. Why? Because he loves her, and love gives. Love gives. And we actually see this message all throughout the pages of Scripture. Perhaps the place that it's like put on the clearest display is in this very obscure verse from the, the Gospel of John. It's in the third chapter, verse 16. You've probably never heard of this, John 3, 16. Um, it, it says, so God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let me break this down for you. It says, God loved... For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God loved, and because he loved, God gave. God loved, God gave. Which is why it's not all that surprising that the expectation that God would have for his people is that they would love, and because they love, that they would give. Now, this is typically the part of the message where people start going, oh, man. Like, I knew, I knew that you were going there, preacher, but I just was kind of hoping we could avoid it. Or, or some of you are going, really? We're, we're going to talk about giving around Christmas? Have you seen my Christmas bills? Have, have you seen the, the list of presents I, I got to buy, all the things I got to do, all the food I got to purchase to feed all them people? I got the in-laws coming, man. Like, I, I, I hear you. I, I, I'm tracking with you this morning, and, and I want you to hear the only reason we're talking about giving this morning is because that's, that's really how the wise men came and worshiped Jesus. They bowed down, and then they gave him gifts as an act of worship. And some of you are like, no, no, no. There's only one reason preachers ever talk about giving, and that's because the church needs more money. Let me tell you something, church. You don't need to give because the church needs more money at all. In fact, let me tell you this. Christmas Eve's coming up. And Christmas Eve happens to be our biggest service of the year. We have more people come to the vine on Christmas Eve than any other time of year. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to take up an offering that day. And we're not going to keep any of it. We're going to take up an offering that we are going to give 100% of it away to our community partners in this area and our global partners around the world. We're not keeping a dime of what we get on Christmas Eve. You know why? Because we love and love gives. 
Are you with me, church? Like, I, I, come on, yeah. Like, I'm not calling you or encouraging you or inviting you to give because we need to get more from you. Mm. I'm encouraging you to give because you need to give. Because you were created in the image and likeness of God. And our God is a very good God, a loving God, a God that expresses his love by giving, a generous God. And the way that you're going to become a generous person is by giving. That's how that happens. You don't wake up one morning and go, you know what, I used to be selfish and now I'm generous. No, you become generous by giving. And the reason you give is you love. And so when you see a person who's generous, you know what that tells you about that person? They love deeply because love gives. And so I, I want you to hear this, church. Like, we're talking about giving a little bit this morning, not to make you uncomfortable because I get this time of year is tight financially. I totally do. But, but I want you to understand that love gives. And in fact, the reason we're celebrating Christmas is because God sent his son into the world God gave us Jesus. Like that's what this season revolves around, the truth that God sent Jesus into the world, the ultimate act of generosity. And what he has for you this Christmas is for you to experience the joy of giving because I'm convinced that the most fun you can have with money is giving it away. Like the most fun thing you can do with money is give it away. And I'll I'll let you in on a little secret this morning. Like little secret. The people who, who give generously in our congregation They know this to be true already because they're already tithers. They know, they know that 90% with God's blessing is always better than 100% without it. That's what they know to be true. And some of you are like, oh, come on. Is that possible? It it, it is. In fact, the Bible points to it in numerous places. But but one of them that really stands out to me is in Proverbs chapter 3. This is what verses 9 and 10 says. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, before we dig into what that means, because I don't think any of y'all have ever in the year 2019 used the word first fruits. So we're going to break that down in a second, okay? But before we do, I want you to hear that this was written by a guy named Solomon who happened to be the son of David, the wisest person on the planet. He was believed to be the wisest person to ever live. And at the time that he wrote this, he was actually the most wealthy person on the planet. And the wealthiest person on the planet looks at the people around him and goes, listen, if you want to experience blessing, it's not in getting, it's in giving. And listen, his, his tithe was bigger than yours, okay? I'm just, I'm just putting that out there because the more you have, the more you're called to give. And the more opportunity you have to bless someone else. Because this time of year really isn't about you. And the crazy thing is, when you make it about someone else, you are the one who experiences the blessing. And so, so listen, it says that we're called to honor God with our wealth and with our first fruits. Now, our first fruits is just basically, a, it's an, a, another way of saying the word tithe. And tithe is a super churchy word too that just says tenth. It, it means a tenth. And so we're called to give the first ten of what we make back to God because God's the one who gave us everything to begin with. And some of you, some of you are like, okay, well, why would I do that? Well, Solomon tells us. 
He tells us that when you give the first 10 back to God, what happens is your barns are filled with plenty and your vats are bursting with wine, which how many of you are pumped about your barn being full, right? Like you guys are like, yeah, that's well, that's, I actually wrote to Santa and I was hoping for a vat of wine to be overflowing. <laughs> no, like, let me, let, me, let me translate this into 2019. It says that when you trust God with your first and best, you're trusting him with the rest. And what he will provide for you is everything you need, everything you need, and plenty of what you want. What he's saying, what he's saying is if you trust me, you trust me, I got you. If you trust me, I will take care of you. And, and I've seen this so many times, and there's so many of you have so many incredible stories about this that, that I couldn't just pick just one. But I, I did have an interesting story that someone shared with me recently. A friend of mine's a pastor, and he told me that he was, he was teaching his church on tithing, and somebody came up to him after the service, and he had tears in his eyes, and, and he was an older gentleman. And he, he told my friend, he goes, I still remember the very first time my wife and I tithed. It was 60 years ago. And I remember it because we sat and we listened to a preacher invite us to tithe. And we had one of those side-eye conversations. How many of you, you married people you don't know about the side-eye conversation? We're like, you know, you're, you're looking going, are we doing this? Are we doing this? Are we doing this? Are we doing this? And they decided that they were doing it. And here's why it was a big deal. They both felt convicted that they were supposed to start tithing that day. And they both knew that that meant they wouldn't have enough money to make it through the next week. But they wrote the check anyway. And so they drove away from church that day going, what did we just do? Like we gave away the money that we need in order to eat this week. And they got home that afternoon and, and, and the, the man was a little more dejected than the woman. She, she had a little more faith than he did. And he, he picked up a book he hadn't looked at in a long time. And he started just thumbing through it. And a $50 bill fell out. And, and it was a book that he knew hadn't left his house in years. And he knew that he hadn't put that money in there. And he knew that his wife hadn't put that money in there. And he knew that that money would be more than enough to meet his needs for that week. And that man told that preacher, that was the day that we decided we would always tithe. That was the day we decided we would trust God with our first and best and invite him to bless the rest. Church, here's the invitation you have this Christmas season. It's for you to experience the joy of giving. You have the opportunity to experience the joy of giving of giving. And some of you are going, man, is that, is that really significant? It is when you remember that love gives. So what I'm really inviting you to do is to love more deeply than you've ever loved before this Christmas and to show that love to people who really need to know just how loved they are. And if you're here this morning and you're going, man, I, I just, I can't imagine I can't imagine giving my money to the church. If that's what you're thinking right now, I've got some news for you. You probably think that we just went through an entire message about your salary. We didn't. We just went through an entire message about your soul. Jesus isn't interested in your paycheck. 
Jesus has plenty. What Jesus is very interested in is your heart. And sometimes what you do with your paycheck becomes the barrier between your heart and his. Which is why this morning, this morning, I want to encourage you to consider giving. And listen, listen, listen. The ushers aren't coming back. You're good, okay? Like some of y'all were getting nervous. You were, I saw it in your eyes. Listen, listen. Ushers aren't coming back, okay? So you have the opportunity to leave here and process what this looks like for you. But my prayer is that through your processing, you'll reach a point where you go, you know what? What the Lord has for me this Christmas is to become more like him, more generous and more loving. And I'm gonna start that by experiencing the joy of giving. And if you're here this morning and you're going, man, I still don't get it. I still don't get it. I couldn't imagine giving up part of my salary. I want you to hear this. It's not about your salary. It's about your soul. And if you've never before trusted in Jesus as the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, then you have the opportunity to do that right now. And if you're wondering why you should, it's because from the moment you cross that line of faith, that very moment, you go from having to, to work each and every day to feel like you're significant. You get, you get to go from worrying each day if you're just going through the motions or whether your life really matters. You get to cross that line just one time. And from that moment on, you will know that your life is significant, that it does matter because the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the High Priest, the Savior of the world, isn't just all that for everybody else. He's that for you. He's not just the Savior of the world. He's your Savior. And in that moment, you enter into a relationship with him that doesn't just end when you die. It begins today and it ends in eternity. You have the opportunity to have a, have a deep, meaningful, lasting relationship with Jesus. Listen, this isn't about a transaction. It's about a relationship. And it's a relationship you can begin right now.